made this one to look just like you. Wow, that's a striking resemblance. I know. Oh, I'm so excited it's Easter. I love Easter. It's kind of a shame that it's so close to Black Friday, though. You mean Good Friday. Oh, yeah. Good Friday. Huh. I mean, to put the Easter Bunny holiday right after Jesus' holiday kind of steals his thunder, don't you think? Well, it is Jesus' day. It's the day of his resurrection. Wait a second. So you're saying that the Easter Bunny Easter is the exact same as Jesus' Easter? No, they're not exactly the same. I mean the exact same day? Yes, two totally different things on the exact same day. So what came first, Jesus or the egg? Well, we're celebrating Jesus. Oh, well then we shouldn't be decorating eggs. No, I mean, eggs symbolize life and the resurrection. So it's okay to decorate eggs? Sure. Well, uh, I'm gonna put a cross on this one just to be safe. You know, maybe we shouldn't think of Easter as this isolated event and instead think of it as a part of a continuous story about our salvation. Yeah, that is exactly right. Yeah. Hey, you know what else? The Jesus that died on the cross is the exact same as the baby Jesus that was born on Christmas. Yes, that is true. They are the exact same person. Yeah, except that Jesus brings us gifts from Santa Claus. Isn't that great? That's hilarious, isn't it? I thought it was a whimsical way to start off our Bible study together today because I feel like sometimes everyone forgets that Easter continues once it's over. Um, and, and so today, we're, we're going to talk about just that very thing, about what it means to carry the power of the resurrection with us each day, not just on Easter. Now, I want to get through a few uh, disclaimers here. Before we get started, uh, if you were here last Sunday and you're sitting there saying, okay, where's the guy with the blue pants and that, that goatee of a bearded pirate angel? Where'd he, who's this guy? Well, don't worry. That guy, our pastor, Cock Clayton, will be back next week as we begin a new sermon series on the Old Testament figure, Elisha. The second disclaimer that we've got to make sure that y'all are aware of today is we are going to straight fly through some scripture. Uh, everything we talk about is going to be supported with scripture, lots of scripture. Now, some of y'all are Bible ninjas and you're like, Nahum 4-6, go. <laughs> got it. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there's, there's one right there. For the rest of us in the room, and I include myself because these thumbs can't do nothing fast, um, the, all of the verses are going to be on the screen behind me. I would encourage you today to, to look at that because uh, I, I want you to catch every word of the Scripture as we're looking through them. And that's going to help us to move efficiently through those. So as we start, I wanted to tell you a story before we jump in. Uh, I'm from South Florida, and a guy that was in my church growing up, his name was Dr. Bob Barnes. Uh, during the 1990s, he had a counseling and professional uh, therapy type uh, practice in the Atlanta area. Now, if you'll remember back kind of in your sports history book, 
1996 was the Atlanta Olympics. And so he was there right at the end and during the time of the Olympics. And he tells this fascinating story of that time. He says, so as soon as the Olympics ended, my business basically tripled in size because I had this influx of Olympic athletes. And these people would come in, and these are like behemoth type people, just the tip top of athletic conditioning. They are well spoken. They are well educated. They are well disciplined. They literally have every single business avenue at their disposal. They want to go into real estate. They can make that happen. They want to go into TV, into sports medicine, into anything. They can do that because that's the place that their platform and their training has brought them. But see, there was an interesting thing that he said is when these people would come into his office, the prevailing question was, it's over. Now what? Isn't isn't that deflating? It's over. Now what? All this training, all this work, all this discipline, I've given up my life. I've given up relationships. I've paid money. I have given up everything, and now it's over. You may be like me, and you may have had a, a, a series like that in your life where you've asked that same question. When I was in high school, junior high and high school, I played football. And from eighth grade all the way through my senior year, I worked, and I practiced, and I gave my all. And I remember at the end of my last game of my senior year of high school, it, when it was over, I don't remember if we won or lost. We probably lost. It's okay. Uh, I was taking a knee on the far end of the field, and I looked back over the field that I had spent years on, training and working and giving of myself and disciplining myself, and remember thinking, it's over. <laughs> now what? What a, what a deflating question to be present in our lives. And you see, as a believer, we have a similar question that we can ask, but it is a question that's full of hope, full of victory, full of expectation, full of the presence of God, and that is Easter's over. Now what? Let's pray together, and then we'll talk about that. Lord, together today, we desire your presence to be here. We desire that you would move, that you would speak. Lord, open the eyes of our heart, God, to know a greater depth of your truth and your wisdom and your love, your mercy, and your holiness. God, we offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see when we ask the question, Easter's over, now what? Is that God desperately desires a right relationship with us. God desperately desires a right relationship with us. And you see, there's, there's an interesting thing here. That there's a, a very interesting tension that happens in this conversation. A tension between God's grace and his holiness. Because you, you see, it's, it's always been about God. It's always been about his holiness. It's always been about his greatness and his splendor. For God is completely for himself. And everything else must meet that level of holiness in order to be in 
right relationship with God. But as we see here, when we say that it's always been about God's holiness, his greatness, and his splendor, we see that nothing in a broken creation can come into that right relationship. Let's look together at some scripture. This is 1 Samuel 2.2. And again, we're going to fly. The verses will be behind me on this screen. I invite you to read along with me as I read. 1 Samuel 2.2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Psalm 96.9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. And then we see some very interesting passages. Two passages that are depicting worship happening, not here in, in earth, but rather in heaven. Denoting that this has been going on long before the foundation of the earth, and it will continue on long after it's gone. First one, Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. His glory fills the whole earth. The next one, Revelation 4, 8. Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You see, it's always been about God's glory. It's always been about his holiness. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. Track with me on this. When we place God's holiness as preeminent in our life, our resulting position comes into correct alignment. Did you track with me over here in the side wings? When we place God's holiness as preeminent in our life, the resulting position that we see comes into correct alignment. Because we see that when it's all about God, it's all about his holiness, there's no place for a broken, jacked up, sinful, messed up creation like us to exist anywhere in that framework. I mean, do you see that? It's, it's always been about God's holiness. You, you see, sometimes I feel like we, we put, the, we put the, the cart before the horse sometimes when we talk about the, the cross. And hear me right now. Jesus came and died for sinners. Jesus came because he loved us so much. But we have to ask the question, why? Because back in the day, there was a framework of perfection here. And, and sin entered that framework. And the result was us being depraved and broken. And God's holiness cannot stand a sinful and broken creation. And I, I just want you to know right now that as a pastor, I am just as jacked up and messed up as anybody else. I am just as sinful. I am just as depraved. I am just as um, able to be tempted by the lies of Satan as anybody else. And the best that I could give 20 years in ministry, the best that I could give is worthless to Jesus. It's a tension between his holiness and his grace. And when we view his holiness as preeminent, our resulting position, church family, comes into correct alignment. Look at this. This is, this is the next point on your outline here. The cross and the resurrection... They were about one thing. They were about maintaining God's glory and holiness. And the beautiful byproduct of that is the redemption of mankind. 
The cross and the resurrection were about maintaining God's glory and holiness. The beautiful byproduct of these events is the redemption of humanity. Let's look at this next verse. This is coming out of Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too, he's talking to believers, we too, you see this, this is very interesting. We too, we're by nature deserving wrath. We were nature deserving wrath, as were others also. But God, who is, who is what? Who's rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our sins. And you are saved by grace. Amen. You see, the beautiful byproduct of the cross is the redemption of mankind. Because see, when, when, when Jesus stood on the cross and his blood trickled down, it trickled down and covered each and every one of us. That way, when a holy God looks upon a sinful person, he sees the, the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's equated to us as righteousness. There's nothing that we can do that we can achieve that level, but rather it's through Jesus and his blood. And God did this because he desperately desires a right relationship with you and I. And it's through Jesus, it's through his blood that we can enter into that relationship with him, with God the Father. So once Easter's over, now we get to live each day, not just in a relationship, in right relationship with God. The next thing that we see when we ask the question, Easter's over, now what? We see that God gives access to the Holy Spirit. God freely gives access to the Holy Spirit. Let's look at some scripture. Acts 2, 1 through 6. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw, track with me, this happened, infallible word of God. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Track with that, okay, people? It's like me getting up here speaking in, in Italian because the Lord allows it. I, I've never spoken in Italian. I, I can't even say the word correctly. That's just what happened right there. When this sound occurred, but it's not over. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So at that time, there were, there were Jews. And when they say Jews, in this passage, they mean devout followers of Judaism from different parts of the world at that time. And so these, these people had come and gathered. And they hear this. It's like, it's like you know, you, you, know you, you know the guy. He's got that like souped up neon, right? Who goes flying down your, your, your road at like 100 miles an hour at like 2 a.m. in the morning. It's like that happened. It, not you, just my house? Okay, cool. That happened, and they all came out, and all of a sudden they saw these people who didn't know their, 
their home language, speaking to them in their home language through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. Pause button. Oh, that we would be so close to God, so filled with his anointing that when we gather as a church family, that he lands on this building so hard that it shakes. If, you, if you're sitting out there and you're new to our church, or maybe, second pause button. In my family, we have this thing where we lay the cards out on the table and say it like it is. You're part of my family, so I'm going to do that right now. Maybe you're sitting there saying, what's the point of church? When we gather as a church family, this, this thing that happens here, it's like, it's like a, a, a family dinner. We go our, our separate ways throughout the week, and we gather together at the table of Jesus. We pull up and feast on his riches together corporately. It's designed for us and purposed within us. And so it says here, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Amen. That's my prayer for us as we worship, is that when we do sing the things that are full of God's word, which we do, that those words would resonate in your heart and you would go proclaim that truth. Because he's our anchor. He is our sustainer. My confidence is placed in Jesus alone. Next, we look at Romans 8, 8 through 11. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if you are in Christ, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. In you. Did you just track that? Did you just catch on to that one? That means that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. Amen. I mean, that's no weak thing. There's nothing junior varsity about that statement. Jesus was dead, like full on dead. Nothing coursing through his veins, dead. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised him to life. That same power lives in you. That same resurrection power lives in you every single day, every single moment. Let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this. The spirit that conquered the grave, well, it's powerful enough to conquer doubt, to conquer worry, restlessness, sicklessness, loneliness, despair. And you know what else? That spirit's all we need for love, for joy, for peace, for kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're not done there. That spirit is all we need for wisdom. That spirit's all we need for good relationships. You want kids to be raised up that are people that seek after God? Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll help you with that. You want to have a marriage that isn't falling apart? Ask the Spirit to do a work in your life first, and then ask Him to transform your marriage. He will do it. You want wisdom as to whether or not you should buy that boat? Ask the Spirit. He'll tell you. Because in the white noise of life, that ping that hits above all the rest, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Amen. Because if you will get before Him, 
soak up the word of Jesus, desperately say, Holy Spirit, tell me your direction. I just don't know where to go. That white noise kind of buzzes in. There will be, in his time, under his sovereignty, something that pings above the rest of it. That is him telling you what to do. I've seen that so many times in my life. He's all we need. He is all we need. Following Easter, we have access to the power of the resurrection. It lives in you. It is with you, giving you victory every single day over the works of this life, over the things of the devil. You got some temptation here in your life? He says, come to me, you who are, what? You're burdened. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. He'll help you out. He'll give you the path out. You want to change what's happening in your life? He'll help you. He'll give you that direction. Because it's the Holy Spirit. He's powerful enough to conquer death, sin, and the grave. He's powerful enough to be whatever you need in this life. The next thing that we see once we ask the question, Easter's over, now what? Is that God designed us to be in community with other believers. God designed us to be in community with other believers. I I mentioned that uh, we lay the cards out of my house. Here's another moment like that. I want to thank you for being active in worship here at Quail Creek. God's doing a great work. Amen. We want you to join us on that journey. But I want you to know that if you are just here on Sunday mornings for large worship, you're missing out on all that God has designed you for, and you're missing out on the full extent of the purpose for your life that he has. Because you see that, we, we, we see this model in Jesus that he lived life with other believers. He called them disciples back at that point. Let's look at this together. Matthew 20, 17 through 19. While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief of priests, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised. Talk about a close-knit group of people that you share your life with. Jesus was doing that right there. Matthew 12, 1. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some and eat grain. We see that began with Jesus, but it continues after his death and his resurrection. Mark 16, 14. Later, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were, what? Reclining at the table. These, these jokers were hanging out. They're eating dinner. They're just enjoying one another. That's the same design purpose that we have in our lives. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship. That's the early church devoted to fellowship. We should be about the same. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts 1.12-14, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. They went on a road trip, Old Testament style. 
okay? They went and hung out. That's like the same as us going over to Dallas and coming back, going to Lubbock, coming back. Fellowship, community of believers. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Different Judas than the one that um, got the 30 pieces of silver, okay? Uh, They were all continually what? United in prayer. United in prayer. Along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Listen, I... I want you to know that I don't expect every single person in this room to love or, or enjoy or agree with everything that the staff of this church does. Here's the deal, though. As it says right there, if we unite in prayer for the common good of knowing God in His holiness, being filled with His Holy Spirit, and then fellowshipping together as a church, by and large, His Spirit's going to bind us together on that same path beneath the direction of our senior pastor. It's scriptural. Jesus calls us to and has designed us for community with other Christ followers. I want to give you an example from my own life. So um, my wife and I, my family, we've got a, about a group of about six or seven families that we, every once in a while, like once a month, get together and have dinner. We call it the dinner club. And this is in addition to and, and an extension of the life group that we're in on Sunday. So this is what happens. Again, laying those cards out, y'all. Okay, so it's Friday, right? It's Friday, and I'm sitting there saying, ah, it's all been a long week. I'm tired. All I want to do is sit on the couch and watch an Avengers movie. Do you ever feel like that? Like, I just, but, but you know what I find? That statement from me is more about me and my insecurity than them. Because these are people that love me. Not me as in the guy that stands on a platform or a professional pastor. They don't care that I can play a couple of instruments. They could care less about that stuff. They love me for me. And what happens when I walk in that, that room after about 30 minutes, the walls come down and we begin to do life together. And I, I share my burdens with them. We talk about how funny our kids are and how terrible the cowboys are and the rangers that, you know, Dallas's JV baseball team up there. And what happens though? I leave that time more full than any way I've experienced in any different setting because Jesus designed us to be in community with other believers. Ephesians 6 2, carry one another's burdens. This way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. See, living with living life with other Christ followers is a biblical imperative. So when we say Easter's over, now what? Now we, we get to bind together with other believers through the power of the Holy Spirit and live life together in biblical community that is founded in Jesus. The next thing that we see when we ask Easter's over, now what? We see that God commissions us to ministry. God commissions us to ministry. And this appointment takes on three forms in the Christ follower's life. Evangelism and discipling. Service to the church and missions. Evangelism and discipling. Service to the church and missions. 
Let's look at some scripture together. Mark 16, 15 through 18. Then he said to them, go into all the world. And this captures the evangelism and the missions angle. Preach to them the gospel. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Let's keep going. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, looking more at discipleship and missions. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Pause button. He said, All authority has been given to him. All authority in heaven, below earth, in this life, five years from now, ten months ago, all authority has been given to him. So you go. You go. You go. You, you want to see nations over across the world get evangelized? Don't wait on someone else to do it. You go. You want to see that guy that you hit up at the gym every single time to, to spot you doing the bench? You want to see him in church get saved and grow in the Lord? You tell him. Don't wait on someone else. You want to see our ministries be awesome? You do it because we need you. Let's keep looking. Let's keep looking. Let's keep tracking on this. Service to the church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? To build up the body of Christ. Listen, what, what that saying is, you like kids, you like to teach a little bit, we got a great preschool ministry that needs you. You love students, they're the next generation. You want to see them blossom and do something incredible? Go teach them. Go raise them up. Don't wait for Mark Malik to call you. You walk into his office and say, brother, I feel God's telling me, how can I serve? And let him point you. You feel like you want to be a part of what happens up on this stage? Like you can play the guitar, you can sing. Or, we're not trying to win American Idol up here. We want worshipers to lead other worshipers. We don't want some, some guy or some girl who's all about the diva coming up here trying to do something with it. We want worshipers leading worshipers. You, you love missions? We've got a great missions team that will help you in that. Come and serve. Because as we see, it's for the building up of the body of Christ. We can't do this without you. You're the most important part of our ministry that we have. I think God's calling someone in this room right now to be a part of a ministry in this church because you know what? We can't do it without you. So after the power of the resurrection enters our life and Easter's over, Jesus is saying, I, I now have hands and feet, and that is you. Go and do something incredible. Because see, God wants to do extraordinary things through ordinary people for the purpose of his glorious grace. Track that with me. God wants to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. He doesn't care what happened to you last week. He doesn't care about what's going on. In, in, a, in, in maybe a previous marriage, he doesn't care about your bank account. He wants your heart. He wants your willingness. He wants your service. He wants you to go and serve because 
We're his hands and his feet. And he wants to do incredible things through you. Calls the ordinary to do the extraordinary in his name. So, in this, what we're seeing is that when we ask the question, Easter's over, now what? We see that the power of the resurrection goes with us. It's not just something that happened on a Sunday where we, we got all dressed up and went and ate a bunch of food. It's more than that. God said, I'm holy. This sinful people isn't worth my holiness. But you know what? I love them that much, so I'm going to send them Jesus. He died, rose again, and then we have access to the Holy Spirit who calls us to live life with other believers and has equipped us for reaching people that don't know Jesus and so that we can build up his church. Today, I want us to do something here as we close. If God's leading you, I want you to respond in one of three ways. God, God may be calling you to serve in ministry here at our church. Or he may be calling you to some kind of missions or to, to serve our community in some way. I want, I want you to commit to that if that's where you feel God leading you. You, you may be sitting there saying, I, I feel like God's telling me to pray for someone who is committing. That may be you. Please do that as we sing this last song. The third, you may be sitting out here, there today and say, I don't know what a resurrection is, don't know much about Jesus. I thought he judged me every time I took a step and took a breath. Know that he doesn't. Know that he loves you so much that he pierced through the fabric of sinfulness and took the cross meant for us. All he wants is your heart. He will transform your life. You don't like where your life has been lately. Jesus can help you he can walk you out of that. And by living life with a community of believers like we have here, we can disciple you and grow you in that. So maybe you want to respond to God today and say, God, I want to give you my life. I don't even know what that means, but I want to give you my life, live for you every single day, to honor you, to know you, to call you my Lord and my Savior of my heart. Maybe that's you today. As we sing, I, I want you to do one of those three things. Let's pray together as our, our worship team comes back up. Lord, we, we praise you, God, that we can carry the power of the resurrection with us. Lord, it's not something that just happens on a day and then waits 364 days for it to come back, but rather it's something that goes with us every hour, every minute. Lord, and we, we say that we're desperate for that kind of anointing and that kind of power in our life. Lord, I pray right now for anyone that's responding to the things that we have talked about here in our Bible study. God, I pray that you'll be with them. Give them the boldness to make that decision and, and, and truly allow your presence to transform their life. Lord, we offer this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, let's stand. and Let's spend some time reflecting upon the things we've just talked about.